Hey, this is Greener Grass Up Podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Lee and Kelly McVeigh, now with the Digitant Network. How's it going, guys? I hope you're having an amazing day. I know a lot of you guys are out there freezing your butts off. Literally the only place in the United States where, well, us in Florida, Southern California and Florida, we are enjoying beautiful weather and everyone else is suffering. Um, I'm so sorry. I know I know it's terrible. So I'm thinking about you guys. I'm thinking about Kelly because she drove her kids in icy, icy conditions the other day. And, you know, it's just scary. So, hi. What would you like to say, Bean? (laughs) That's it? You want to say hello, listeners? Hello. Hello. Hello, listeners. Hello. Can you say check the mic? One, two, one, two. Check the mic. One, two, one, two. It's so good. You want more dessert? One piece of the cake. Okay, can I do this first? Can I have one? Okay, I'm going to do this first and then I'll get you cake, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right, guys, um, we are sending newsletters out. Uh, Kelly has decided to get really artsy and creative, and she's been designing them recently. So we're sending one out uh, for January. Um, today it should go out to you guys. So please uh, click the link there and become part of the Green and Grass family and opt in for our newsletter if you haven't yet. And today we have Jamie Shepard. She is an activist, animal lover, and she advocates for animals. She talks to us and educates us on what farm sanctuaries are. It totally makes sense to me, but I never really knew they existed, honestly. Um, But it makes sense. It's where these um, animals that have been commercially used, um, you know, to bring us their cow's milk, um, etc. Or, you know, animals that have just been used and abused in our agricultural system. And, you know, farm sanctuaries give them a place to be free and live the rest of their lives. So I learned a lot by listening to this. Um, Heartstrings are definitely pulled on for sure. But um, I hope you learn as much as I do. All right, guys, let's get started. So hello, everyone at Greener Grass. We are diving into 2024. And we are starting off with a new person in my world. I love that Um, My business and the work that I do every day gets the opportunity for me to create friendships and relationships with incredible, mostly women, but some men out there occasionally too. And today we have Jamie Shepard and I love Jamie um, because she is a huge animal lover and I'm sure that we have animal lovers out there. I'm like just blown away by her because I have two guinea pigs, Lucy and Lulu. And I feel like Lucy and Lulu, like I'm feeding them carrots every day and I get excited about that. But she has Willow, a horse, she has dogs, she has cats, she has chickens, she has all the things. And I see this a little bit in Emerson, Rose, Emerson, the 13 year old, she loves animals. And I think if she could have all of the above, she would. And I feel like coming to Jamie's house would be like Disney world for her. So, I mean, maybe I need to put that on the calendar at some point, but Jamie, welcome to greener grass. And this is all about people's stories. And so I would love for us to just start off and learn. And this is a learning for me too, because you're new to me in a lot of ways, but, um, just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, um, what did that look like? And probably you should, you should share when you're telling us where you grew up, if you had animals as a kid. 
Yeah. Well, it's so funny you say that about your daughter, because I hear that from my friends who are moms that have like teen, preteen kids, or even, you know, just that animal loving little girls are like, can my, can my child come stay with you? <laughs> because, yes. because it would be their dream and maybe they would stop asking me for an animal so often. Yes. Um, but I actually, I grew up in the military. Well, first, thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to, I love, I love getting to know you and having you as a new friend in my life and colleague. Um, but I grew up in the military in the Marine Corps. Uh, so, and my parents were not, are not animal lovers. Um, I think animal tolerators, but, but we also, the, the military life, we moved, you know, every nine to 12 to 16 months. And so a lot of times that was overseas and it was just not like always the military is not the most conducive lifestyle to having a bunch of pets, but I did get a dog for Christmas from Santa. My set when I was seven, because I wanted wanted one so badly. And then I was seven, right? So I didn't have a lot of skills to train and do all the things. And then she was rehomed against my will at two months later. And that was like probably the most traumatizing thing in my life um so I'm probably overcompensating for that at this point um I remember I locked myself in my room and cried for days but um her name was Mandy she's a little cocker spaniel so that was the only I think one point we had the class finch come home with us okay um I was not I loved it but it it like died over Christmas break and it was like really awful so I think my parents were like I think we're done having animals um and so when I turned 19, I was a sophomore in, co- in undergrad and my roommate at the time, he really wanted a dog. And I was like, oh, I'll help you get, I'll help you like look for puppies because I wanted, you know, to live vicariously through him. And then I, of course I was the one that ended up with a puppy after that search. And so I became like a teen mom to a dog, um, Cassie. And then so, and then she was kind of my only dog for a really long time. And then um, I didn't kind of start living my for feather mom dreams until the last kind of like eight years or so. Okay. So listen, I have to pivot back a little bit um, just because I do think intriguing. So like being a military child, did you hate it? Did you think it was special? Did you, I mean, I do think even learning this about you and I, you might've mentioned this to me before, But even for what you do every day from a networking perspective, you were forced to make new friends and get out of your comfort zone, like as a child, like that had to have been tricky and hard and a lot. Like, what do you think back about that timeframe? Yeah, I think this is such a good question for when you, it's such an important question with military kids, because I I hear this a lot. My nieces are military kids. My brother's in the Air Force. So that's, and and it's all I ever knew. So it was my normal. So like, just like it would be, uh, most kids is normal to live in the same house their whole life or go to the same school, know the same kids since kindergarten. That was, that was like the most abnormal thing to me when I would meet kids that had known people had known each other for you know their entire lives so for me it was it was normal and in the military community it's so amazing because everyone's constantly coming and going and so there's always a new kid there's always you are always the new kid or someone's always the new kid and it is like you're friends with everyone often just because that's just the reality like you know what it's you always know what it's like to be the new kid or having to say goodbye and so 
most military kids are super resilient socially. They're adaptable. They're, you know, they're, they're easy to, they are easy to, to make, it is easier for them to make friends or just get along just in general with most anyone, because that is, that is just a part of the, that's the name of the game. Um, it's, it was harder for me when we landed in Oregon for high school and which is where I ended up growing up the rest of my, most of, you know, spent the rest, most of the rest of my life. It was, I realized it was harder for me to learn how to keep a friend. They're very separate skills. And so I spent a long period in my life as a young adult, as a teenager and in my twenties, like actually having to learn the skill of keeping friendships. Right. And cause this was before, you know, I'm 44. So this was before social media. I, this is, you know, if you wanted to keep a friend growing up, it was pen pals. Yeah. And if you like just actual letter writing and if you moved and didn't for like, you know, cause we were, cause again, all my friends were also moving. And so it was like, there was, it was really easy to lose track of people. So when Facebook first, when MySpace and then Facebook first became a thing, it was really fun for a lot of us to go and find friends from, you know, like figure out, like go through old yearbooks from my elementary school classes and stuff and like find people and actually have a couple of really fun message threads of like, kids I lived in Alaska with, kids I lived in North Carolina with, you know, and, and kids I lived in Texas with. And so it's, um, it was what, it was all I knew. And now it's really fostered my love for travel. It's been really hard for me to stay in one place for a lot in my life. And that's actually what, it's actually what spawned my, or gave, you know, gave birth to my brand name, which is Roots and Wings Wellness, because like the wings are just what I grew up with, like just change is good. And I'm, I love to travel and adventure and learn new things, but the roots were what's really helped me figure out who I am. And so like having that duality for myself is also what I love to help other people, like figure out how to root down in who you are, what you want, deep relationships, deep, meaningful community, but then like also spread your wings and like learn that it's okay to fly and it's okay to change and it's okay to grow and it's okay to like, you know, shed old, old shells of ourselves. And I think we all struggle on one end or the other. So to have some nice harmony in that is something that I've really loved cultivating for myself, but then like helping others too. So. Okay. Listen, freaking love it. We can wrap right here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I love that. I love that. Okay. So Cassie is the dog that was your first dog. I mean, I know we had um, the dog when you were younger, but Cassie is your dog. When did you, because I think, I think having a dog, Cassie, and to what you're doing today are totally two different things. When did you, you always had a love for animals. When did you venture into this being such a big part of who you are? Yeah. Yeah, I always I look at my like kid albums, like every picture in my all the albums my mom has made over the years. Like I was always petting the dog. I'm like, mom, what dogs? She's like, I don't know. There was always a dog you were petting. Um, and so I think part of it. So there's a there's a couple of things. Like Cassie, you know, I was working my way through undergrad, grad school, working three jobs, and like she kind of got the short end of the stick, right? Like we were often like we lived in apartments, or I was working long days. She was like a dog sitter had to come let her out in the middle of the day or or something like that and I always had this like guilt this mom guilt um and she was very loved and lived 14 years and was my my baby but also like it was just hard I was I I was 
growing up with this really big responsibility of having an animal and it is a very big responsibility um that I mean at least it should be for most you know should be something everyone feels like is a big responsibility but um when I first when I retired from being a school counselor in 2014 and I started full-time network marketing in my it, it as a career I had that time because I also felt like I didn't want to also have a you know be able, have to leave you know have an animal or have a pet and then leave them all the time I wanted a better quality of life and so um after about a year of being you know less than less than a year being full-time I really wanted I really wanted I was like okay I think I'm ready to like have a have an animal my ex-husband and I he got a job in Florida and my where we're living in California, we couldn't have a dog. It was just this beautiful little cat, like cottage on the beach. And it was like the most perfect rental in the whole world. But the one thing was no pet. So when we had to move to Florida, I was like, I will go. If I, he's like, he was like, well, if we go, we could get a house with that. You can have a puppy. And I was like, I will go to Florida for two dogs. (laughs) And so, um, so it started there. And then when we moved to send back to Oregon, um, I, I needed something more in my life than just my job. Um, I really had a passion for animal advocacy and animals. And I was happy just having the two dogs and we had a cat. Um, but I ended up on the board of a dog rescue. I I sought out a local dog rescue and said, like, I have so much time in my life. I have social media network. I have community network. I have marketing skills. I like have time on my hands. Use me. And so like, I want to support this, this dog rescue. And so she had me join the board and I just volunteered a bunch. We did spay neuter clinics in Mexico, um, did a lot of local, local fundraising and adoption events. And anyway, that kind of like opened the door and I saw not hard. Like, I think being a part of a dog and when you're a super crazy, I mean, I did elementary school teaching and there, I was in low income schools and like, it was hard on my heart because I wanted to take all the kids home. Like I would have ended up with all, you know what I mean? Like it's hard to walk away when you are that passionate about something. Did you feel that? Yeah, it was too much for me and actually ultimately made, it really actually impacted my mental health a lot. And I ended up with three more dogs after being on the board of that for a couple, for a few years. Like we went from having, you know, Cassie and Abby and Rain to then also having, um, you know, Maverick, Zora, and uh, Worthy. So like, in like, all of a sudden we had five dogs, we ended up with six at one point, but it was a lot. And there was a lot of, there's so much cruelty and awful. There's just so much like it was like, and then I became the bend, the Central Oregon dog rescue person on social media. And so people were constantly sending me like, can you, can you guys help this dog? Can you guys help this dog? And I would like got a message one night. She's like from my friend who I did the rescue stuff with that. She's like, well, if you can find, help me find three fosters for these three dogs, they won't get euthanized tomorrow. And I was like, what? She goes, they're being euthanized tomorrow. But if we can commit, if I, if you can for sure find three fosters for them. And like, I would get regular messages like this. And I was like, I remember not sleeping that whole night because a, I couldn't be messaging people at 3 a.m. But I was like, I was like, they're all of a sudden their life was on my, was on my head you know and I was like I I it just took a real and as an empath too I was like this is too much for me and so I had to kind of like step away from that in the sense of like okay I've rescued 
I will help support. Um, but at that point, then I pivoted. So my ex-husband, Jake, his name's Jamie as well, but he was like, you know, I really wanted to have far, like help farm. I was kind of more transitioning into more vegan lifestyle. I was learning a lot about the farming industry in terms of animals and their welfare and the cruelty that happens there. And so I was already kind of naturally pivoting away from some of the dog stuff because it just felt like this impossible mountain to climb. And, yeah. and so Jane was like, well, why don't you see if there's like a farm sanctuary around that you can volunteer at instead? And so I did and ended up meeting one of my best friends in the whole world who runs, who has her own farm sanctuary and um, volunteered there for three years and was on the board there and um, learned so much about animals, like from not just dogs and cats, but like cows and llamas and chickens and ducks and pigs and goats and everything, Wait, bunnies, you know, like shoot, there was like a hundred, over a hundred different, you know, hundred animals there, horses and ponies and donkeys. And so, um, and what does the farm sanctuary do? Like, what does that mean really? Yeah. So farm sanctuary. So there's, there's a lot of, this is a whole different topic for a different day, but basically like a farm sanctuary's job is to help create a soft landing place for animals who have been used for production purposes their whole life. So what happens a lot in farming is like, for example, dairy cows, and I'll just use them as an example. A dairy cow often is forced inseminated every year, constantly pregnant. And then, so they constantly produce milk, right? The milk's meant for their babies. The babies are then ripped away from them immediately and they're given like formula so that they can get the milk for whatever they're trying to sell. And then most of the time, like the babies are then used for veal and killed as a baby, or they're sold, they become a dairy cow themselves if it's a girl, or they're raised for beef if, you know, someone wants to buy them and raise them for beef. Like it's just this perpetual cycle and their life, their quality of life isn't very good. I mean, it's awful in a lot of cases, not always, but most of the time. But then as soon as that dairy cow stops being able to produce babies they're usually then killed or dumped at an auction which is then killed and used for whatever and horses this happens to horses goats every animal as soon as yeah. they stop doing their job and they've had a life of servitude towards their owner they're just expended upon with so sanctuaries step in and they'll often try to like rather than letting that poor dairy cow get killed after doing what she was you know how you know doing her job her whole life they'll let, they'll like give her a soft landing place and a loving, safe place the rest of her life um, or be able to rescue mom and baby so then she can actually stay with her baby. Or so a lot of times um, these animals are like, cause it's especially in times now, like a lot of sanctuaries are in crisis because they're so overloaded because people who had, can't afford their animals. So they're just not feeding them. They're left in really terrible conditions. And so a lot of times with people find an animal that's been abused or is being neglected, they'll, they'll, you know, or just a lot of people think that it's really fun to have like a pet pig in their apartment. And then what's, you know, when it's a little teeny piglet, that's one thing, but then it becomes a 200 pound potbelly pig and it's not as cute anymore. It becomes destructive because it doesn't have outside to forage and it's just, you know, stuck in the house. So there's so many different ways it happens. Roosters, you know, they get chicks and you can really only have one or two roosters in a, in a, in a pack, you know, in a, in a, in a flock and so then people will just dump a rooster in the woods you know and so like 
they're coming in from all over, but the need is so great. So sanctuaries are gonna, you know, heal and remediate. They're gonna get veterinary care. A lot of times, you know, just like in humans, like there are diseases and their ailments and their birth defects and things like that. And instead of, they might just need a little bit of veterinary care or a little bit of support or love or just extra support. And yeah. if it's something for a profit, you're not going to want to give that extra money because they have one job to do and they don't fit into that. Like, you know, and so sanctuaries will be the one like, Oh, look, we can like, we can help this cleft palate, you know, go like get food and nourishment into itself and just might take extra effort. And so part of it is becoming a soft landing place for people, for animals like that. And then another part of it is usually, is usually education and advocacy so I don't know of a single farm um, sanctuary that's not like vegan. Um, yeah. And they do a lot of, not all of them have a big social media presence, but um, most do. And they do a lot of education around, around like, did you know that pigs have the intelligence of a five-year-old? That yeah. they know that they are one of the most emotive and expressive animals. Like they have feelings and they like can cry, you know? And so like, it's also helping not anthropomorphize animals, but like showing that like they actually are sentient beings that have emotions and you know, like she feels safer on my lap right now. This is Maple. Yeah. She was in Bali. She was rescued for I rescued her from Bali in January. But um they have their own trauma and they have their own history and they just kind of need need someone to like hold that space for them if they and be patient with them. And so like the gentle barn is probably the most famous farm sanctuary. Um, if you've seen those news news stories where like the cow escapes the slaughterhouse and is running through the streets of like New York City, right? And like yeah. Chicago, I think is where a big one happened where these like this herd of cattle escaped the slaughter truck and then were like running up the highway and everyone was trying to like save them. And so some of these animals, these animals have wills to live and they will like, flee for their lives and so like the gentle barn like said jumped in and was like saw the news and they're like let us take these animals in and so it's just really they're really the most special place it's really become like probably my biggest passion and mission in life is to just I don't know that I have as a single mom as a single woman with the animals I do have like it's not necessarily my desire to run my own rescue because it's a 24-7 non-stop never-ending thing but I love to donate and support and volunteer at the rescues and sanctuaries around but more it's about education and advocacy for for animal welfare for nutritional welfare but also for the environment there's so many layers to it but and every um sanctuary is going to have like a little different priority list in terms of what their you know what their scope is but it's always coming from a place of just wanting to help animals feel loved and safe and get to live out their natural life. Like a turkey can live like 30 years. That's third, like, yeah. Like they can live these long, beautiful lives, but most are killed after in less than a year. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just, it's one of those things, Kelly, like I didn't, when I first started volunteering at this Harmony Farm Sanctuary in Bend, um, my volunteer coordinator, she was like, pauses or we're going through the gate. She was like, are you vegan? And I was like, no. And she's like, are you vegetarian? I'm like, not completely. She was like, was that okay? And she's like, oh yeah, it's fine. She goes, you will be though. And like, not even six months later, like I couldn't, 
I couldn't eat meat. Like I can't eat a burger without thinking of Kingston's face. You know, like I can't eat chicken without thinking of Sinatra. Like I just was like there, I now know once you can't unlearn it. You can't unsee it. You can't unknow it. Once you see how beautiful these beings are and they're that you see their trauma, you see their gentleness, you see their forgiveness, that you see their resilience and their, their, your, their silliness, you know, like it's just so special. I love it. I mean, tugging at my heart for sure in a million different ways. Um, okay. So you, you are at the sanctuary. You're now down. I think you have, do you have five dogs at this point or six? At that point I had five dogs. I think six Pippa came along. My littlest one came along in 2019, like right before the pandemic. So okay. dogs, three cats at home. Um, and then just volunteering, you know, a couple times a week and doing fundraising and public, you know, public, public education stuff for the farm. So when you moved to Vermont, I mean, I think I get a gist of in general, like starting to volunteer at the sanctuaries, becoming a vegetarian, just from learning the animals in your heart, like getting to know their personalities, like having a connection that they're actual beings, feelings, all the things. How do you even transport to Vermont like when you decide to move Vermont because you move from Oregon to Vermont first of all in my mind they seem super similar to me are they similar there's a lot of similarities for sure yeah they're different ends of the country um a little a lot colder here not as high altitude um but similar like as similar I think as two ends of the country can get for sure lots of greenery lots of outdoors um Yeah, a lot very like progressive liberal place. Um, yeah. yeah. So when you start looking, were you did you know you wanted like a far? Did you know you wanted space and like you wanted to? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So so I moved. Part of leaving was for my well. The big impetus for me for leaving was was the animals. So yeah. I going through the pandemic as a single, you know, going through a divorce in the pandemic with all these animals and, um, uh, and then on top of wildfires, it was a lot like getting them places, safe places to run and to play. Like we had, um, Ben was seeing a huge, huge influx of homeless. So like even running through and playing in the woods, like we normally did, we'd come across like homeless encampments. So like there wasn't a lot of safe places to go and run and be outside and I, I mean I had like a half acre yard which is a lot but like they have a high energy p- pity mix you know like who needs to yeah. go around like a healer and a, and a great Pyrenees and so it was like really hard to get them places safely to go run and adventure outside but also when we also had to evacuate um for a wildfire and I like had an RV at the time and I like but I didn't even have enough crates for everyone I didn't know like and it kind of really I actually had to do a little bit of EMDR about that because it, it ended up being, we were fine and the fire didn't come, but we actually got to a level through, which means like, leave your house, go now, now. Um, and so I recognized that like, I couldn't, you know, have a retreat business and, and travel a lot. I had, we travel a lot for our jobs. And so like, I was feeling like panicked leaving my house. And I was like, I can't have this constant fear because on the West coast, the threat of wildfires is not especially in the summers like it's a real thing and it's not gonna go away anytime soon and so the animal quality of life 
my peace of mind and my my heart were the biggest thing. So I wanted to buy land. So I found 10 and that was part of the, I was looking around the country of like, where would be a good safe landing place for us? And so ended up on Vermont, which is a really long story I won't go into. And then 10 acres um, is what, what I found and uh, fenced off two acres and um I knew eventually I'd love to have like chickens or get some pygmy goats or something, but I like really just needed to like, we all needed to kind of like, yeah, feel our nervous systems a little bit. And the animals are so, so happy driving across country with these guys was no easy feat. So I have a truck and I, and then said so four cats, actually four cats. I said three earlier, but it was four. Fiona passed away this last summer, but four cats, five dogs. And, um, I ended up buying like a teardrop trailer. This was cute little, like they look like a little like egg. Um, yeah. And so three of the cats, I just like shoved them in there. Cause I was like, well, how am I gonna, it's a three, it's a three day drive minimum across country from Oregon to Vermont. I was like, I can't let them in and out. Yeah. Like they're gonna run away. You know, you can't let in, a cat in and out, you know, like, um, and so I just like built them up this little oasis and I bought it for them so that I could put a litter box, I could put water, I could put food, I could put bedding. I put all my house plants in there. So they had this little oasis in there and I yeah. had little windows I could check and make sure they were alive. I had like a thermometer in there with a little weather station so I could make sure it yeah. wasn't cold. And then, so they were safe in there. Fiona, my little tortie, she was up front in the truck with me as long as it was well as Pippa, who's my other little one. So they drove in the in the cab with me and then in the bed of the truck, and I have like a cab, I have a, you know, lid and everything where the other three dogs. And so then they had this, like, they, they were such troopers, Kelly, like, and then we would just drive, we would Airbnb and like, you know, like fall into the Airbnb at like 11, 12, 1 AM and then leave first light. And it was just like this, this mad haul across country. Cause I would like, just get home, just get there safely. If ever, like, I just want everyone to get there safely. It's not a drive I would ever recommend doing. It is not a drive I ever want to do again with any of these animals. If I ever was to move back to the West Coast, I would be flying most of them. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. I Do you feel like, I mean, now being there, having two acres fenced in, like they can just like, they're they living so their much best land. lives. Yeah, they're yeah. living their best lives. Yeah. Um, a couple of times Jamie has come up when I have a trip to go hang out with, you know, the dogs and he's like, is there somewhere I can take worthy to go run and play that you, I'm like, no, I bought him a farm. <laughs> like, he is yeah. like he can play in his yard. Um, yeah. so they're so good. They love it. They, uh, they have so much stimulation and so much space to run and lots of space to dig holes and drive me insane and be naughty. So I love that you still have a relationship with Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we've been a good support to each other. You know, I don't think we're a good husband and wife to each other, but like, we were good. We were good. We've always been a good team and good friends. And I think, you know, you, you probably know, like there's a point yeah. in the divorce process where you can, it can go one of two ways. And I've seen, I saw it in my own mom, like it, it can go really bitter, really nasty, really ugly. And then that's your legacy. You know, yeah. and it's really easy to go there because there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of, there's a lot of baggage there, you know? And like, that was like quickly devolving to that. And I think we both were like, this is not our story. Like, this is not okay. the story we want it to be. So we just kind of like put down our swords and said like, let's just support each other and 
moving on. And so, Love I mean, have our own lives. It's not like we chat often, but like if I need something or he needs something, like I think we both want to just help each other. We, you know, care about That's each other. Amazing. Okay, so you get to Vermont. You have the the dogs, the cats. They have their space. They've made it cross country. Um, how do you go to chickens and willow and all of that? Is it just like it's just a continuing progression? I think I have a problem. People think I have like some <laughs> kind of problem. <laughs> um, I have wanted chickens for for a while. Um, and so this. I was, I was like, okay, I'll give it a full year and then I will add one new thing. And so, um, I added the garden, but I also added chickens. So I added two new things. And, um, and then I like winter in Vermont is crazy. Summer in Vermont is crazy. Like the, the seasons are really interesting here. Like we get negative 20 weeks, you know, like we had a whole fall of just wet, even though spring is mud season. So it's just like, for me, it's, learning how to support the animals through each of these seasons, because I'm scared to death that my chickens are not, are going to struggle this winter. And so it's, I, I wanted chickens just because I like, I wanted to be able to rescue chickens. I also wanted to like have my own eggs, like that's something nutritionally, like I have to have, I have really low iron and, um, even, and so, but I like, didn't, I want, I like having eggs in my diet, but I also didn't want to support farming practices that I know are pretty cruel. And so I'm like, well, I feel good about if I know that these chickens are the most spoiled things on the planet. Um, yeah. and it's a little bit, it feels better for me. I'm really interested in the homestead slow, you know, like, you know, I've you and I talked a lot about, like, I really like my, this season of my life is really about peace and slowing down and doing less to have more, you know, like, and it's really been such a, game changer in my health and my happiness. And so that is like, and the world is such an ugly, heavy place. And as an empath, I find that like having my own little sanctuary on so many levels is really healthy for me. And so part of me is like, well, I would like to learn how to be self-sustaining in a lot of ways, you know? So that when, when the apocalypse comes, you guys can all come yes. with me and we're good. Um, I'm ready. Yeah. And then, um, I've wanted a horse since I was eight. My aunt, Bobby Joe was my dad's sister. And she was teaching me how to barrel race when we lived in Texas briefly. She was like a barrel racing champion. And that was like a very like six month stint of life. And I always was like, I loved horse movies and horse books. And I just had always wanted a horse and um, follow a lot of horse rescues on Instagram and it was like someday, someday. And I also feel like I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, well, the someday is now. Like there's, yeah. I don't get given a someday, but you know, also having a horse is a huge, huge responsibility with time and money. And yeah. so I was just not in a place to responsibly do that. And then this fall, I was like, well, I feel like this is the time to do it. If I, you know, like I, I feel, yeah. you know, eventually I would love to have a horse property where I have my own barn and I have my own pastures, but I don't have the confidence as a horse, like as a horse owner yet. So I like have a, a barn down the, uh, you know, 15 minutes away that does all of that part for me. And so, um, I'm learning a lot and it's been so fun. Okay. So I said that I would only keep you and we normally do like 45 minutes ish, but I could go on and on. So maybe we'll have to do a part two eventually. I don't know, but if you, because you have 
been so much a part of this and researched and learned and connected. I think you're not just one part. I think sometimes people will preach things because they researched it on the internet or you know what I'm saying? Like, I think you really have dived into learning so much about animals. If you were going to leave the listeners on three things that you really wish that people overall understood and knew, um, and you can, I think this could go into totally 10 million different ways, but like, if you were going to narrow it down, because I do think that people don't know a lot of things that go on. What three things would you want the listeners to just be aware of and understand or even do their own research on? Like what three things would you want to leave people with? Um, I think that first, I mean, if we're looking through the lens of animal welfare and just, I think compassion has to extend to your plate. I think you have to really look in the mirror and go like, do I can say I love animals and I have a lot of friends that love animals and they, I think they do. Um, but that compassion and love for animals doesn't go past their front door or past their, their yard. Um, and I think to truly be an animal, animal lover, we have to understand and like have an honest conversation with what the reality is for shelter dogs and farm animals. Like they're very different topics and I don't, I'm not saying you have to burden your heart with like the weight of the world in that, but like, as far as like dogs and cats go, like, especially dogs, like there are shelters because for whatever happened with the, with the economy and post pandemic, a lot of people rescued and bought dogs. And then now they're back to work and like, they're, they're like, it's too much, right? They're like a, a I guess the first thing I would say is like an animal is your an animal should be a lifetime commitment. Like they deserve that. Like their lives are so short and it can be so traumatizing to be just discarded and passed around and, and neglected. Um, and and what, have, what has happened is that these shelters around the country are so full that animals are being killed. They're not like, it isn't like everyone's getting, going home with the puppy and going to the shelter on the weekends and, you know, like they're clearing them out. They are so full that, if you're an, if you have an owner, like this is happening a lot in California and in Texas, if you're an owner surrendering your dog, it doesn't even go to the adoption floor. It goes straight to the euthanizer floor. Like they're not even taking owner surrenders and they're going straight to you to euthanize, which means they're just being put to sleep immediately. That's not a painless process. It's not like, oh, they go to sleep and it's like a painful, torturous death. Um, because to make them go to sleep without pain, that takes extra money and extra time and extra medicine so like I want you to understand the reality of what these animals are actually happening because it's not like in the movies or like lady and the tramp you know and so when you buy from a breeder you are perpetuating full shelters and you're perpetuating animal torture and animal abuse and animal neglect and it's really painful and then the burden is really big on people who are trying to help with animal rescue and with shelters and stuff um and it's not that there's I love, I want, like, I'll probably always have a Pyrenees, for example. Like, there's nothing wrong with, like, loving a specific breed, but you can rescue any breed. I rescued Abby, who's purebred Great Pyrenees, as a baby. I'm the only home she has ever known other than her mama's foster care. You know, like, at eight weeks old, she came and lived with us and has never, you know, so she's a rescue, but she's never wanted for anything. She doesn't have the emotional baggage. She's been spoiled her entire life. 
you can rescue any breed as a puppy. You just have to do a little diligence. You have to like, I'm, and I'll, if you, anyone wants to reach out, I will help you find the puppy breed from rescue. Um, and I think a lot of people are just impatient, impulsive. Like I know a lot of people like really want the golden or they really want the doodle. You can, you know how many doodles are sitting on the euthanasia list right now in California? Like French bulldogs, these like coveted breeds, right? And so I think that's number one. Number two is um, that when I, what I kind of started saying is like compassion also has to go to your plate. Um, I think it's really great when we go to like a petting zoo and we're like, look how cute. Or we go to the fair and it's like, look how cute. And then understanding like when these animals are slaughtered, like they're being tortured. They're like, their throats are slit while they're alive, right? They're, they hear the screams of their peers. Like this is awful stuff, but I don't think ignorance is bliss and ignorance doesn't make change. And so I want you to understand that like, if you are really okay with eating that piece of pork, I want you to be okay with how that pork pig was killed. You, yeah. There has to be connective tissue there. Like that is that is the thing that that pig deserves. They deserve yeah. for you to have to understand the process of its life and you have to be okay with that. I also think energetically torture is like, you know, we know we hold trauma in ourselves. Like we hold trauma in our bodies. Like we know that like as health practitioners, like it's in ourselves, like trauma and abuse is held in these animals. I think we're eating disease because we're eating like, yeah. Um, and that's a whole maybe a wooier thing, but I think that like, I, not everyone can watch like, uh, like a documentary, like earthlings or you are at what you eat or vegetated. I just watched you are what you eat. Yeah. Like I, I think eat. a lot of people can watch that and go like, I think I need to go vegan. And then a lot of people watch that going like, this is just crap, or they just don't have that compassionate bone and that's fine. You but watch it. And then like, like, just watch it. I think I'm not like, you have to, I, I feel like if I could ask everyone just to ed- understand, because even if you don't, that doesn't change your choice to eat that animal, it might, it might give you that extra edge to like, make sure you're getting something that's pasture raised or organic or that locally sourced, right. Versus supporting these big, big, big um, farms that I mean, there's a couple, there's several in Vermont. I drive down a certain road to get to the barn and and, um, these cows, there's thousands of them and they live in these pens and they don't ever get to go outside. And I'm like, this is their whole life. They don't, they can't even turn around. So like, I kind of live my life by the golden rule, Kelly. And I'm like, if I, would I want my kid to live like that? Would I want to live like that? Would I be okay with my dog being treated like that? And like, if it's the answer is no, then I think we are all, we are all responsible, like social responsibility. Like once we know better, we do better and it, nothing changes unless we demand as consumers that things change, which I think is beautiful. Um, and I don't think you have to go like all or nothing. So like maybe start with like a meatless Monday, like start small, you know, like maybe just buy eggs from that are like locally sourced. A lot of, um, especially if you go to like Whole Foods or natural grocers or sprouts, depending on where you live, like any kind of local whole food store, they will usually tell you what eggs are come locally, right? Like there's a little, if you just do a little bit of the extra research, or if you know someone with chickens or like here, the local high schools have agriculture programs. You can buy eggs from the high school agriculture program, things like that. Like just take the extra second to, to, to open your eyes and 
And if this is something that matters to you, like follow some farm sanctuaries online. Just, I think that, um, I don't, I'm not saying go vegan. I'm not a vegan. Obviously I just said I eat, I eat eggs. Uh, I think that sometimes labels can be really polarizing and it's this all or nothing thing, but I do care about, I am compassionate and I do, um, live by principles of no harm done. Um, yep. and so I think that that's an okay place to start. Like it doesn't have to be an all or nothing black or white thing. Like just make, make the effort to just baby step towards it. Like kind of how we talk about, um, in our, in our company with like simple swaps, like just start with some simple swaps or like follow some plant-based recipe people online. I get so much inspiration from some of my favorite accounts on Instagram that are all plant-based cooking. And I'm like, Oh, that looks, I mean, and anytime I make, like, there are so many easy ways to make really yummy, nourishing, nutrient dense meals that have no meat in them. And I, and I, and it's, so it doesn't have to feel, it's, it doesn't have to feel so overwhelming. I think if you can see other people doing it, it makes it less overwhelming. And then they're constantly giving ideas and support and value. Well, listen, I could do this all day with you. I love spending time with you. This is exactly why I wanted to have you on. I'd love Jamie too, for you to send me when you have time, because you and I are both busy women. We're busy women, but send some links. Like I, we have a newsletter that we send out. So I'd love to include just some links that you think would be amazing, but this was so good. It was so informational and you are a very amazing mommy to lots of incredible rescues. I love following you. Um, Jamie Shepard will tag her too. So you can see um, her beautiful new horse, Willow, and her, she does cute videos with her chicky, chickies, um, but so appreciate you coming on and really sharing your heart, but educating us as well. Thank you for having me. And I, and I hope this inspired just some points to consider for whoever is listening. And so, and I love you, Callie. And thank you for giving this, uh, this, the mic for a minute. I love it. Thanks, Jamie. Welcome. Bye. All right, my friends. Um, Jamie, thank you so much for sharing your story and your love for animals. Uh, definitely made me think twice. Um, and you know, I'm gonna like read the fine print and make sure that I'm getting my stuff sourced from the best place possible, etc. So we appreciate you so much. And in the show notes, there are links to the farm sanctuaries that she she was talking about, um, and then also a way to contact her on Instagram. All right, my friends, please honor us with a five-star rating and a review, and um, check out The Expecting Aerialist if you're into the motherhood, prenatal, postpartum time. We get into the nitty-gritty there, and if you just want to hear my voice, I'm there as well. Um, and stay warm out there. I'm thinking of all you guys, whether... You're just stuck trying to get from point A to point B and a lot of flights are canceled. Or I saw like some TikToks of Buffalo where the snow is up to the doorframe and people, you know, it's it's a situation, guys. So stay safe out there. Thinking of you, thinking of uh, Kelly McVeigh, and we will see you guys next week. Over and out, this is Greener Grass.